Welcome to the Sale Street Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salestreet.org. Welcome. Uh, my name is Andrew. I am uh, privileged to share in the word with you this morning. Uh, we, as you know, we had an exciting week of World Changers. Looking forward to an exciting week of VBS this coming week. Uh, but we're just happy that you're with us today. If we have any uh, visitors or anyone returning uh, for the first time in a while, we're thankful to be with you. Uh, I want to extend a hearty Happy Father's Day uh, to all of the dads in the room today. And before we get into the, uh, the passage, yeah, go ahead. Before we get into the passage, uh, I just want to address the dads uh, here briefly. So it's not uncommon uh, for churches today, uh, many Southern Baptist churches, to have a special sermon on Mother's Day and a special sermon on Father's Day. You probably have noticed this. Uh, this tradition likely began with good intentions, uh, but a lot of times the messages come across as praising moms for being awesome on Mother's Day, which shout out to moms, they are awesome. Uh, but on the other hand, we're criticizing dads for not getting their stuff together or not being manly enough or not having enough tools or whatever it is. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've witnessed this. I've been discouraged by messages like this in the past. And um, you probably have too if you've been in church long enough. I've actually spoken to more than one person who said that either they or their fathers specifically avoided church on Father's Day because of this, because of these types of messages. So we have to ask the question, why? Why do we do this? Why do churches typically do this? Especially on Father's Day of all days, right? Well, as uh, Pastor Jared Wilson says, these types of sermons are two sides of a non-gospel coin. And along these same lines, I think the reason that churches do this is because of a misunderstanding of the gospel. As fallen human beings, we are naturally inclined to believe a false message that we can be better based on more effort or enough good works in our own selves. And unfortunately, this message is directed towards men very harshly, oftentimes. Now, it's no secret that our society today is plagued with men who do not fulfill their calling as God has for us, especially as fathers and as husbands. But churches, despite good intentions, do men a very severe disservice by preaching this false type of message. I stand before you today as an imperfect man that struggles to be the type of the, 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 the father and the husband that God calls me to be every day. But I also stand before you as a man that God has proclaimed to me that I'm saved by his grace and I don't have to do more and I don't have to be better, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. And this is the message that we have for all men in here today, uh, that if you are weary, if you are downcast, if you're tired of hearing the stuff that the world has to say about you, look to Jesus. He calls you to himself to rest in him, in his grace, and in his power. 
and commit yourself to him, and he will change you into who he has for you to be. And as we'll see in the passage today, uh, God saves us with the explicit purpose of transforming every aspect of our lives through the power of the gospel. And just on a brief side note, uh, words cannot express how thankful I am to be part of a church and to sit under the leadership of our elders who are committed to teaching the truth of the real gospel and not a false message of do more and be better on your own. Uh, so I, I'm just thankful for that greatly. And we also just want to recognize uh, that we know Father's Day is not a happy holiday for everyone. Uh, whether you have lost your earthly dad or do not have a good relationship with your earthly dad, uh, our prayer for you is to uh, trust in the power and the grace of our Heavenly Father, who is perfect. Uh, so at this time, uh, my brother Paul is going to come up and offer a prayer for us. I guess this is on. Hello. For our dads today. Pray with me. I guess I didn't turn it on. Father in heaven, you are a good, good father. Thank you for Lucas reminding me of that song today so we could sing it to our guests coming in. That That's who you are. You're a good father. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And as an earthly dad, I just celebrate, Lord, that you've shown me every good and perfect gift through the Son, Jesus Christ. And I can see your relationship in, illustrated in these scriptures. Father, perfect Father and perfect Son. And I don't have to be perfect, as Andrew said, as I ex want to be a dad who loves my kids and shows them who Jesus is. But I can follow you. And I thank you that you've established a whole church, a whole system of encouragement, reminding and teaching that we can be fathers who follow you and as a result, our families, our legacy can be one of forever and love and power and growth because of who Jesus is and as you, the perfect heavenly father. I pray for the, the dads in this room that they would um, reclaim with every breath their identity as people who are loved by you, the perfect heavenly father. For those dads in this room who, who can't do that yet. I'm thanking you, Lord, that they're here and that today's a great day to see Jesus more clearly and come to you. I pray for anyone here who's missing their dads on this day, that we would remember that, that you are a perfect heavenly father and that we are loved by you. And that on days that we remember uh, our fathers for good or for difficulty, we can reclaim that underneath the banner of God the Father, we can be whole and loved and have our being and we cling to you and everything i pray for the men in here who want to be fathers and are pursuing either married or want to be married and want to see you i pray that that our identity in christ would be the hallmark of every part of us so that in every day we could we could celebrate that you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, Acts chapter 10. Uh, so last week, uh, our brother Jeff walked us through the first 33 verses of Acts 10, uh, where we saw these events concerning Peter and Cornelius. Uh, as a reminder, Cornelius was a Roman soldier. He was a Gentile 
who did not know God yet, uh, but God was preparing his heart to receive the gospel. God revealed to Cornelius, uh, revealed himself to Cornelius and told him to send messengers to Peter, who was in a neighboring town, uh, to go and fetch Peter to bring him back so that he can meet with Cornelius and his family. Uh, at the same time, God revealed himself to Peter through this vision where a big white sheet descends on the earth and all of these animals are in the sheet. And God says to Peter, uh, eat from these animals that according to the law, according to the Jewish tradition, uh, were deemed ceremonially unclean. So through this vision, God taught Peter a lesson not just about food, but about people. God revealed to Peter that strict adherence to the law was not required for a person to be clean and have a relationship with God. Let me say that again. Strict adherence to the law is no longer required for a person to be clean and have a relationship with God. And this is in line with everything that we've been talking about in Acts. Remember from the beginning, Jesus commissioned the apostles to bring the gospel to the nations by the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say go and make Jewish converts. He didn't say go and make law followers. He said go and make disciples. More recently, uh, we saw the Ethiopian eunuch was brought to faith through the testimony of Philip. And we, saw, uh, we see the Apostle Paul being prepared to enter into a ministry focused specifically on Gentiles. And then here in this passage, we're going to see the very first Gentile converted to Christ. Uh, so we left off last week. It was a cliffhanger uh, at the end of verse 33. So we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 48. And we'll see what Peter has to say. So Acts 10, 34 through 48. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of that. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. God, we just stand before you, uh, humbled as we have opened up your word, God. And I ask that you would speak to us through it. Uh, I pray that we would see the beauty of who you are, that we would just behold the glory of Jesus as we sang about your beauty. And I pray that you would open our eyes to hear and to believe and to trust in you, to understand what it is that you have said when you have spoken to us through your word, and that you would transform us by your power. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I joked, uh, I think, with my wife earlier that I'm a bad Baptist this week. I only have two points instead of three. (laughs) But uh, two points from this passage. First, uh, Christ's people are justified by faith alone. Christ's people are justified by faith alone. And second, Christ's people are justified together. Christ's people are justified together. So we're going to look at both of these throughout the passage. And uh, both have very profound implications on us as individuals and on us as a corporate body. So that's part of what we're going to be discussing this morning. Uh, But first, Christ's people are justified by faith alone. We're going to see this in the first nine verses, 34 through 43. I'll go ahead and read 34 and 35 again. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter doesn't mention faith explicitly in these two verses, uh, but if you look a little further down uh, at the end in verse 43, he does. He mentions everyone who believes uh, receives forgiveness. Uh, But just the work of the Holy Spirit is so evident in Peter uh, right here in his recognition that God shows no partiality in people from different nations. Because this is the complete opposite of what the Jews believed and how he was raised. And we saw this last week where he saw the animals and he he deemed them unclean. He said, no, God, I'm not going to eat from that. But God told him three times, Do not call common or unclean what I have made clean. This is profound. This may not seem very profound for us today. Uh, I don't think we have many Jews in here, if I had to guess. Uh, But this was a huge moment for Peter and for the church. From the beginning, God's intention is for the church to be comprised of people who come from a multitude of different nations, peoples, and languages. And this goes back all the way to the covenant that God made with Abraham. And he said, I will make you a father of many nations. And we see where this ends up, ultimately, at the end of Scripture, the end of days, Jesus returns. And the people of God, the new Israel, is worshiping around the throne. People from every tribe, tongue, language, background. We see further the work of the gospel on Peter here in his realization that becoming a follower of Jesus can be done only by faith, through faith alone. Believing in the gospel is the only barrier to salvation. For the people of God today, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to avoid specific foods. 
You don't have to follow a certain standard of laws. It's faith alone. As one commentator writes, the cross is the great equalizer. All people suffer from the common problem of sin, and we stand equally guilty before God. But the remedy is the same for anyone, faith in Jesus. So all people from any background have an equal opportunity to hear the gospel and to believe. God shows no partiality. Look at verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So Peter recounts the life and the ministry of Jesus. He provides a brief summary of what Jesus did leading up to the cross. Now this is an abbreviated version of some of the other sermons and speeches that we see in Acts, but the point is clear that he's preaching this message to Gentiles. The good news of Jesus is for all people. It's for anyone to hear regardless of background. Peter attests to the work of Jesus, the Messiah, and this consisted of Jesus' healings, his miracles, his teachings, everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And what we most notably see displayed in Jesus' ministry is his authority, the, the power that he has. He casts out demons, he healed diseases. And this reminds us of the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. He said, go and baptize, uh, or go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. But he says before that, I have all authority. Uh, Jesus brought in the kingdom of God. He is the king, and he showed that by the authority that he had. And this makes sense with the theme of Acts that we've been talking about, the church then and the church now. Church now consisting of people from all nations. Jesus has all authority. He is the Lord of all. He is the Lord of all peoples. So it makes sense for the gospel to go out to all peoples, including the Gentiles. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all of the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So next, Peter recounts the death and the resurrection of Jesus. After his three-year ministry of doing the work of God, Jesus is brought to the cross to die a criminal's death. He was rejected by his peoples, by his people, and crucified between two thieves. The sinless Lamb of God hung on the cross to bear the weight of our sin so that we can be reconciled to God the Father. And this is why we can use words like justified, which is a legal term that means we are deemed acceptable to God. Justified by faith alone. Jesus takes our sin and God grants us his righteousness. I love how one pastor describes it about this truth. He says, 
The gospel is not that, you, that God accepts you as you are. The gospel is that God accepts you as Christ is. Amen. And following Jesus' death, he is resurrected from the dead three days later. Not only has he taken the punishment for our sin, but he also conquers death and the grave by coming back to life. And the resurrection proves that everything that Jesus said about himself was true. He's the Son of God, God in the flesh, the promised Messiah, the one that came to establish the kingdom of God through his life and his death and his resurrection. This is the gospel. Look at verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So last, Peter recounts the mission of the church. This began in the Old Testament with the prophets that he speaks about who testified to the coming Messiah. And during his life, Peter was an eyewitness to the work of Jesus along with the other apostles. Now, they were carrying on the work of Jesus. In our day, the church has the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the full, the entirety of Scripture to carry on this same task of bringing the gospel to the nations. But look at the key word in these two verses, everyone. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's not just Jews. It's not just good religious people who, for, who receive forgiveness. But anyone who believes the truth of the crucified and risen Savior and commit to live for him. It's justification by faith alone. As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, we live in a world and we have natural tendencies to believe that we are good enough, that we can make ourselves right, this do more, be better thinking. But look at God's word, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Last week, uh, Jeff mentioned the pastor and popular street evangelist, Ray Comfort. I don't know if y'all are familiar with him. Uh, he has a lot of YouTube videos you can check out. But he does street evangelism, and he's a little short guy. And he ha he's from New Zealand, I think, so he has a sweet accent. But, you know, he just goes to talk to random people on the street. And I guess you put a camera in front of anybody, and they'll just talk. But, uh, you know, he asks them, do you think you're a good person? Do you think if you die, you'll go to heaven? And most people are like, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm good, right? And then he asks them, you know, well, have you ever lied before? It's like, yeah, I have. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Yeah. Have you ever murdered anyone? No. Well, have you ever been angry? Yeah. Jesus kind of made the equivalency of anger and murder, Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever committed adultery? No. Have you ever lusted? Yeah. So by your own admission, you are a lying, blasphemous, murderous, and adulterous person. What do you think God is going to do with you when you die? He says, oh, well, you put it that way. Probably not going to be good. And I mean, it's funny, it's witty, but this is, this is the hard truth that we have to come to terms with. Uh, and this is why Paul describes the word of the cross as foolishness or folly to the world. 
We have to acknowledge and accept the bad news, but it leads us to the glorious truth of the gospel and what we entrust the security of our salvation to, that we are justified by faith alone, not by our works, but by the work of Jesus, a perfect Savior. Martin Luther, the great reformer, put it this way, when the article of justification has fallen, everything has fallen. This is the chief article from which all other doctrines have flowed. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. So acknowledge that Christ's people are justified by faith alone. And this brings us to our second and to our last point, that Christ's people are justified together. Let's look at the last five verses, starting in verse 44. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So while Peter is in the middle of explaining the gospel, he is interrupted by the Spirit. The Spirit falls on the Gentiles and they begin to display marvelous signs that confirm this truth that Peter has been proclaiming, that everyone who believes in Christ will receive forgiveness. Salvation is not limited to the Jews, and now Peter has witnessed that firsthand. What God revealed to him through visions is now confirmed through this miraculous event where the Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And praise God for his work that extends to us who are ethnic Gentiles. This event is often described as the Pentecost of the Gentile world. As you look at the two events, and they're very similar, going back to Acts chapter 2, we see that those witnessing the work of the Spirit are amazed, and we see that those receiving the power of the Spirit proclaim the goodness and the mighty works of God. Following the work of the Spirit, Peter proceeds to have these newly reborn Gentile believers baptized. First, they receive the spiritual sign of the Holy Spirit, and this is followed by the physical sign of baptism. They were saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus. So they're not saved by the baptism, but the baptism is a physical sign that they have been saved. This is common belief. You know, we're in a Baptist church, so we know this. We, we proclaim this. But the Spirit's filling of them confirmed everything that God has been saying up to this point. Now look at our, our second point. God, Christ's people are justified together. This is most clearly seen in the last sentence of the last verse. Verse 48. Then they asked him to remain for some days. It's short. probably would skip over it if I didn't say something. But after Peter received the vision from the Lord, traveled to meet with Cornelius preached the gospel to him, witnessed the power of the Spirit, baptized him, he stays. Stayed with them for some days. 
We know from other scripture that this included fellowship and sharing of meals with one another, with the Gentiles. So not only have the Gentiles been transformed, Peter has been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's been brought, he has bought in to God's purpose for the church to be comprised of people from all different backgrounds. What he once saw as unclean, he sees as clean. It would have been easy for Peter to recognize and verbally acknowledge this truth, but still avoid fellowshipping with the Gentiles. He could have maintained this us versus them mentality, but Peter believed this truth, that Christ's people are justified together, and the Spirit's impact on our lives makes us do things that are different. So what does this mean for us today? What is our response? I've got two takeaways, uh, but before we get into that, I'm not even going to pretend to be able to address all of the different ways that these truths impact our lives. We don't have enough time for that. These are complicated issues. Uh, this relates and spills over to how we view our own political beliefs or how we talk about social justice or how we talk about race relations. I'm sure you're aware, you look at Facebook just one day and you'll see that these are very divisive topics in our society today. There are very extreme views on each side. But that's not the purpose for the time that we have today. The purpose for our time is to behold the glory of the Lord through the exposition of his word. That is my goal, and that's how we're going to conclude our time today. However, I'm willing, I'm sure all of our elders are willing, if there's a deeper, more thorough conversation that you want to have about these things, you're willing to meet and discuss, you can have coffee, lunch, whatever. Uh, just let us know if that's something that you're interested in. But for us this morning, I want to focus back on our two main points from the text. First, the people of Christ's church are justified by faith alone. So this truth should drastically affect how we view one another and how we view people that are different from us. As I mentioned before, all humans suffer from the common problem of sin. We all deserve wrath and judgment from God. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, has made a way for sinners to be reconciled to himself through Jesus. The solution to the common problem of sin is faith in Jesus. And this applies for anyone, regardless of background, ethnicity, church history, past sin, clothing style, whether you have tattoos or not, anything that you can think of. As Peter said, and as, as God proclaims, God shows no partiality. Therefore, Christians, like our Heavenly Father, should show no partiality to those that are different than us. And because of this, we openly and boldly proclaim that any type of racism, or tribalism, or ethnic disunity is sinful and is an affront to God. I don't believe in coincidences. I think God has a specific purpose for us to be in this text today, after we've been preaching through Acts for six months, I think, something like that. This is the day after Juneteenth, where for the first time in 150 years, uh, the federal government 
recognized that all slaves were free. And this is also uh, a week that followed the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention that took place last week. And at this meeting, some of these topics were discussed and questioned. Uh, but one part, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched some of it. One part that I was particularly encouraged by is a report from uh, Dr. Albert Moeller, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. He said that the founders, he said he thought that the founders of the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, would be surprised at the state of the convention today. You may not be aware, but the SBC was founded during the Civil War because the founders split with the Northern Baptists over the issue of slavery. Now, this is a shameful part of our history, but one that we do not ignore. And Dr. Muller said that the founders would be surprised today because the six SBC seminaries in the country include a vast number of minority students who are being trained to become pastors and church planners and missionaries and future professors. And I agree with Dr. Muller's sentiment that we celebrate this fact that the church, despite past failings, is becoming more like the church of Jesus that he calls us to be. And second, last, as we close, we looked at the truth that God's people are justified together. So this impacted Peter's life and that it led him to fellowship with other people from other backgrounds, people that didn't look like him. And what's most notable with Peter's situation is that before Old Testament uh, times, people, uh, Gentiles, people from other nations could come to the temple, uh, but they weren't allowed into the inner parts of the temple. But they were called to come to the temple. Here, Peter doesn't say, hey, tell Cornelius to come meet with me and I'll talk to him. Peter goes and travels to meet with Cornelius and his family. So Peter was not content to affirm the truth that God shows no partiality and stay there. He moved to share life with the Gentiles. And later on, we'll see next week, he was criticized by the Jews for this. So in closing, our lives should be impacted by the truth of the gospel that caused us to seek fellowship with all of the people of God, even the ones that look different than us. And we are called to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we know what heaven looks like. I mentioned it before, the great throne, Christ seated on the throne and people gathered around worshiping, people from a great multitude, it says in Revelation 7, from every nation, from every tribe, every people, every language bowing down before the king on the throne. So let us work toward that end today while we rest in the perfect work of our Savior. Let's pray. God, we are just thankful for the truth of your word. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see what you have said you have spoken. It's not in any power of my speech or in the music or in anything else that we do that changes our hearts, but it's in your power, in your word, by your spirit. So change us to look more like you. To 
Help us to be a people of grace. Help us to depend on you in all things. And help us to seek the outcast. And help us to strive to bring you glory in all that we do, just as you have sought us in our sin. Show us mercy, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.